When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. night when the boss came home to a deserted mansion and a desolate throne servant said boss the lady's gone she left this morning just for dawn you got something to tell me tell it to me man come to the point as straight as you can old henry lee chief of the clan came riding through the woods and took her by the hand the boss he laid back flat on his bed he cursed the heat and he clutched his head he pondered the future of his fate to wait another day would be far too late this is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, One Song at a Time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the and Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Tin Angel from 2012's Tempest is fellow Bobcat Douglas LaRose. Hi, Douglas. Hey, how you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have you here. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So you and I connected over on Twitter, over on uh, Dylan Twitter, as it's called, or Bob Twitter, as it's called. So I'm always excited to meet somebody new uh, over on social media and then have them on to the show. So this is your first time on Pod Dylan. Of course, we have to ask the standard introductory question. How did you become a fan? Oh, wow. Uh, what a question. <laughs> uh, you know, I, was, I grew up in Southern California um, near San Diego. And my, my brother, was, uh, he was a big Bob Dylan fan, uh, not, not so much anymore. He got kind of taken away by the electronic music scene. But he, uh, <laughs> I heard Bob Dylan come in from his room. And when I was, you know, 12 years old, I thought Bob Dylan was kind of annoying. But then when I got to be about 14 or 15, I was, uh, I was just blown away by the lyrics. And uh, I remember one, one moment in particular, my brother invited me into his room and uh, played uh, the Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. And I okay. just thought to myself, there's nothing else like this. <laughs> and I <wanted laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, over the years, I just uh, – Bob Dylan has been, you know, probably the most consistent artist in my life. I, I just – every single moment of my life, it's – when one of his albums came out, it just kind of created the soundtrack. And, uh, you know, I just, every single one of his albums, you know, from um, Time Out of Mind on, just to really uh, kind of create a milestone – in, in many ways for me. Now, I know that you, you have been kind of very, very much like Bob, very peripatetic. You've been around the world a lot because, as you mentioned to me, uh, you have been part of the Peace Corps, which is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, so when you, like, have you meet other Dylan fans in other corners of the world that you've traveled? Because, of course, you know, Bob is internationally known. Do you get a chance to happen to, to meet other people that you're like, oh, wow, you're a Dylan fan too? Uh, you know, in most of the countries where I've traveled, you know, it's mostly sub-Saharan Africa. So Ghana and in the, both Sudans and Ethiopia and Kenya, I haven't ran into a a lot of, um, people there that, that listen to Bob Dylan, you know, (laughs) to the deep cuts, but a lot of them, you know, know his, his 60 songs, you know, especially blowing in the wind. Uh, I remember I had, I had a friend in Ghana who played that song on repeat almost to the point of, of, of making me sick of it. But, um, <laughs> but, but nobody, nobody who would know, you know, knocked out loaded or, or saved. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, okay, sure. I mean, <laughs> that would be amazing to travel all the way <laughs> sub-Saharan Africa. And somebody's like, you know, that knocked out loaded's really good. Like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah Brownsville girl. That's a great one. 
<laughs> oh my god! Like I said, I I always think like Bob is so you know traveled the world so much. So when I I get to talk to someone who's a Dylan fan who has also done an extensive amount of traveling as you have, I always mm-hmm. feel like you know there's you obviously your worldview changes when you've just had the chance to see so much of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it can't it can't help but it can't help but change. And I always think that so much of Bob's work is informed by the fact that he's just seen so much. He's met so many different kinds of people. He's seen mm-hmm. so many cultures up close. You know, we've all heard stories about how, you know, he, he's not someone who just hides in his hotel room uh, before the show. Like he gets on his, you know, he gets on his bike and pedals around <laughs> and sees local things and stuff like that. It's, I wonder, I don't know if I've ever heard of Bob's ever toured Africa. In any, I don't think in he has. Way. No, I've, I've, I've done some research. I mean, I know he did, you know, he did a live aid, right. Um, right. And so, but that's about, I, I don't think that he's ever, I don't know if he's traveled there, you know, on a personal level, but uh, the, the toured, I don't think he has. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's like the one continent he hasn't, hasn't <laughs> conquered that Antarctica. So he's probably done a concert in Antarctica at this point. So, I mean, have you ever had a, had a chance to see him live? Oh, yeah. Many times. Yeah. About uh, 10 times. Um, uh, every, every time I saw him, I was in California. I was actually um, going to see him in Baltimore here. I think you went to that show. Yes. Um, but I was in Mali. I was in West Africa, so I had to give my ticket to somebody else. <laughs> oh, when did, when was the first time you saw him? I saw him on the Paul Simon tour um, for the first time. That, that was in 1999, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Chula Vista, California, where he played Highlands, which is... Uh, oh, wow. I mean, what a, what a way to, to lose your virginity, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really fantastic. Um, that, that, that was a very special... A life-changing concert for me. <laughs> now, so you went into it. I mean, did you when you uh, saw him for the first time? You knew what you were about to hear in terms, of, or what you weren't going to hear. Like you, you knew you weren't going to hear the songs as you uh, hear them on the record. You, you were kind of, you know, I know that some people go into it and they yeah. don't necessarily know what they they don't know to be prepared for what they're about to get. Yeah, you know, back then, I mean, this is you know, as you know, that was the time before YouTube and and you know, being able to just <clears throat> download off Napster tons of stuff and you know, it, it won. So I hadn't really heard a lot of his live material. I think I'd only heard Unplugged. Um, so I was kind of, I kind of knew that his voice wasn't going to sound the same as as, as it does on his albums. Um, but uh, his song arrangements, you know, they they threw me off. But I, I was mature enough, I think, to be able to see the brilliance of, of that approach to doing old songs. And, uh, you know, it, it was, he was basically opening for Paul Simon. So it was a pretty short set, mm-hmm. but it had a lot of really good, uh, a lot of good songs in it. Um, you know, he opened up with, uh, was, uh, what was the name of the, the song that the Grateful Dead used to do, uh, in their acoustic shows. He would do, sometimes um, he would do Alabama getaway. Sometimes he would do, uh, yeah. friend of the devil. He know he did. I know he didn't open with that, but I know he did that Grateful Dead song. West LA oh, fade oh, away. No That's the one. Oh, baby. It ain't no lie. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, it was a fantastic show though. And then he did it. He did some stuff with Paul Simon, um, uh, in, in that show too, but that, that wasn't the best show I saw. I, you know, I, I saw him many other times and probably the, the best show I saw was in San Diego in 2008, um, right after I finished Peace Corps. And he did, uh, you know, Ain't Talking. He did Lenny Bruce. That was one of the only times wow. he did Lenny Bruce yeah. before the kind of recent, uh, you know, putting it into his, his set over the last tour. But, I mean, that was just spectacular to see. And uh, If Dogs Run Free, he did. I mean, <laughs> oh, how often do you get to see that? You know? <laughs> 
when he does songs like that, that's when you really say you really can't ever rule out any song. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you might say he's never going to do, you know, Balvin playing D, but he might. He might, because <laughs> If Dogs Run Free would have been one of the songs that say he's never going to do If Dogs Run Free. And then he decides he gets a wild hair and he decides to do it. So. If he does Ballad in Plain D, I, I, I think I might be disappointed, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when did you see him most recently? Uh, the last time I saw him was in 2015. It was in the middle of the Sinatra right. stuff. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my favorite show, but it was still good. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, well, it's fantastic. I hope, like you said, we all hope we get a chance to see him again as soon as possible once all of this craziness uh, is yeah. over. So, okay, let's, let's talk about Tin Angel from 2012's Tempest. Um, why did you want to talk about this song? I just think it, it's one of the most fascinating kind of moody songs uh, in the, the modern, you know, Bob Dylan era. And, and you know, that's saying a lot because there's a lot of fantastic moody songs. Um, but just like it's it's tempo and, you know, it's only one chord and it's nine <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's a, and it's about three people, you know, and it just kind of, uh, it, it really, I mean, it kind of, I think, captures that that sound that he started exploring with Daniel Lenoir that really... Um, kind of swampy mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of old tiny sound that, that still has this really innovative kind of sound to it. You definitely could picture uh, this being on a record produced by Lanois. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think this would have fit uh, on that. And, and uh, you know, it's sort of funny when I got uh, Tempest back in 2012, when it came out, uh, I definitely liked the, I, and I still do for the most part, prefer the first uh, quote unquote half of the record to the second half. I, all my favorite songs are the, basically the first five. Mm-hmm. And, and I, over the years, even though the, the record's been out eight years, uh, and I still haven't quite been able to pin it down. There's something about the second, the, the, the two, again, they're not two sides because it, it, it was released as a, you know, as a CD and there are no sides mm-hmm. anymore for the most part. But, but in, you know, in the old parlance, side one, side two, I feel like there's some sort of thematic, shift inside two to tempest that i have not even after eight years been able to quite put my finger on but there's something there's something about where it's like it to me it shifts its perspective it shifts its its tone and i feel like maybe the songs are a little more um story centric in the second half i mean obviously you've got tempest on side two and you've got this song and scarlet town and things like that but one of the the one of the things i i think about when i listen to tempest all the way through is that especially on side two, again, the imagined side two is like, there's a lot to me, there's a lot influ- a lot more influence of like um, the film noir stuff that we know Bob loves. I mean, yeah. just the title tin angel sounds like something that uh, you know, it, it sounds like a book that Jim Thompson could have written, you know, or, <laughs> or David Goodis or, or something like that. You could picture like Humphrey Bogart calling Elizabeth Scott, Elizabeth Scott that in like one of those film noirs from the fifties, like a tin angel Yeah, that's true. has that tone to it. And so I think that's something that Bob loves. And of course, he's borrowing. I mean, this song, the whole structure of it, the whole story structure is borrowed from Black Jack Davy, uh, which yeah. Bob himself covered over on, on uh, Good As I've Been to You in 1992. And in the opening line about the boss is borrowed directly from Gypsy Davy by Woody Guthrie. So Bob is once again just taking all of his influences and putting them in a stew and just sort of mixing it around, in this case, for nine whole minutes. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I actually went down the the rabbit hole with this song um, <laughs> when I was doing research on it because I, I I was able to take it all the way back to the to the late seventeenth century. 
<laughs> it, it actually, the, the first version apparently was uh, in the British Isles. It was a Scottish song um, called uh, The Raggled Taggled Gypsy. And if you look it up, the, the, um, the is it the Carpenters? Uh, no, the, um, the Chieftains. Apologies. Those are two very different groups. That would have been amazing. Wow. <laughs> the Chieftains did a cover of Raggle Taggle Gypsy. And it's, it's essentially the same story, you know, with, with some, some major differences. But uh, it's, just, it's neat that the song is, you know, over 400 years old. <laughs> Again, the mind reels at that. He has these songs, and they go back that far. So I I quoted the first three verses. I'm not going to. I'm not going to quote the entire song because there's so much of it. I'm glad you mentioned the 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 beat. You know the structure. I mean, it's like I guess it's the bass. I guess it's Tony Garnier playing that. He's Mm -hmm. just playing that same chord over and over for nine straight minutes. And I wonder is. I mean, it seems antithetical to, to doing it in any other way for Bob, but like, I wonder, is like, was that just like maybe just repeated electronically, or was Tony <laughs> Garnier literally sitting there for nine minutes? You know, I don't know. I can't imagine that Bob would allow would allow him to just loop that. Probably, yeah. Gar- <laughs> like, Tony, you're going to put in the work here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's like, I got a movie to see, Bob. Can we just? All right, okay, whatever. So, okay, uh, the song continues. Well, they rode all night and they rode all day eastward, long on the broad highway. His spirit was tired and his vision was bent. His men deserted him and onward he went. He came to a place where the light was dull, his forehead pounding in his skull. Heavy heart was racked with pain, insomnia raging in his brain. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> all of them, one, one more verse. When he threw down his helmet and his cross-handled sword, he renounced his faith, he denied his Lord, crawled on his belly, put his ear to the wall. One way or another, he'd put an end to it all. So like a lot of songs uh, that we've talked about in previous episodes, you never really get a sense of when this song is taking place. Oh, yeah. Um, he mentions the highway. Okay, a highway is is a modern invention. That's 1950s and later. So you're, so imagine you, you feel like he's, in a, well, he, he's on a highway. He must be in a car. But no, he's talking about horses. He's talking <laughs> about helmets, a cross-handled sword, and – and I'm ashamed to admit this because this this song at times makes has has made me feel dumb, and I hate feeling dumb. I hate things that point out that I'm dumb, but I feel like that sometimes. It took me the longest time to really kind of get a handle on that. This song is, and I'm curious to see whether you feel this is is a dream. This whole thing is a dream, right? I, I feel like it, it 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 feels like a dream when you listen to it, and when you when you kind of go through the story, it, it has all of the, the elements of a dream. But I think what what he's trying to do, maybe, you know, that's always impossible to know. But <laughs> I think what he's trying to do is kind of make the song timeless. And he, he puts it in, it has this kind of Middle Ages feel to it with this sword. And, and, and then also like the kind of Wild West feel to it, you know, with the, with the horses and the mares. And well, I guess a mare is a horse. But, <laughs> but you know, just the, the, the vibe that I get is, is definitely... Um, kind of early America mixed with the Middle Ages, kind of like this weird Western nightmare in some ways. So in that way, yes, like a dream. Yeah, I mean, because he's talking about the the boss, uh, which seems to suggest he's almost like the boss of the town in a way, which mm-hmm. has a kind of older children. But I mean, to me, the the, the thing that I, I never noticed the first couple of, I don't know, dozens of passes through Tempest was that, okay, the, the boss gets this word that his woman has run off with Henry Lee. And then what does he do? He goes down for a nap. 
well, what, like, what, who would do that? Like, what? Like, why would you? And that make that led me to the idea that this whole thing is a dream oh. that he's having, and and then the dream that he's having is that he's of course a man of action. He's going to go get revenge. He's gonna, he's putting on a helmet and his cross handled sword, and he's going to go out and get revenge. And he's going to get revenge, but yet the guy really, what his real reaction is, he just goes to sleep. He's passive. He does nothing. He just he finds out that his woman has left him, and he's just like, "Oh, okay. I guess I'm going to go lie down now." And it's to me, it's it, it, it's you get in that thing of like the person's uh, has an image of himself versus what what who he really is. He mm-hmm. imagined himself as this grim avenger of of the injustice done to him, but instead he's again this kind of weak figure. And of course, that's that's a recurring theme in Dylan's work of the idea of the image you present to your of other people that you know, is in contrast to who you are. And I mean, again, and the the song goes on, he says he lowered himself down on a golden chain. His nerves were quaking in every vein. His knuckles were bloody. He sucked in the air. He ran his fingers through his greasy hair. They looked at each other and their glasses clinked one single unit inseparably linked. Got a strange premonition. There's a man close by. Don't worry about him. He wouldn't harm a fly. So now we've changed the perspective. We are now with this couple and I, by the way, I love the way Dylan sings this song. The way he sings oh, that line, oh, yeah, one freezing. single unit inseparably linked, is just the way he kind of spits that out is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I love that this woman is, I got a strange premonition as a man, goes, don't worry about him. He wouldn't harm, like, so she knows who this guy really, he might be the boss, but she knows that he's kind of this passive, weak figure. And so again, we're like, well, this is a, if this is a dream, this guy is dreaming that that's what this woman would say about it. It's, it's really baffling. I mean, at a certain point, you're just like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never actually thought of the, of the approach of the song being a dream. I, I, I took it as like a, a, a violent clash between two kind of uh, big figures, you know, Henry Lee and the boss. Um, you know, and Henry Lee, I mean, it's, it's very curious that he put the name Henry Lee in the song because Henry Lee doesn't appear in any of the other uh, narratives and any of the other versions of the song. Um, and, you know, doing some, some research on that name, uh, Henry Lee w- was, it, well, two things, you know, he talks about the clan. He's the leader of the clan. And in early America, during the American revolution, Henry Lee was uh, one of the, uh, uh, he was under Washington uh, during the, uh, the revolutionary war. And his son was actually Robert E. Lee. Wow. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did all this research this morning over a very strong <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, so I, you know, and the fact that he doesn't appear uh, in any other versions of this song, he's, he's normally Black Jack Davy or Gypsy Davy. Right. Uh, to me, is really a, a pretty compelling, you know, rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> what do you think that suggest? What does that suggest to you? Well, my interpretation after coming out of all this, and I think I think it's a little bit wild, but here we go anyways. <laughs> oh, this is the, this is what this is why you're here, Douglas. <laughs> my interpretation is that the boss is supposed to represent kind of your standard American rich capitalism, you know, the 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 um, kind of the upper class of American society, and he has all the money, right? He's he tells his wife, I could have given you the stars and the planets too, but what good would these de- these things do you? Um, in the other versions of the song, he talks about uh, he talks about how she's going to forego all of her money and, and all of the other kind of stuff that a rich life entails. 
Um, and then Henry Lee is, you know, if you look at him as the Black Jack Davy character, is kind of this uh, ideological, you know, uh, gypsy. I mean, who's kind of luring these women in, in in these different songs with with these ballads by the river, and, and you know, in the case of Black Jack Davy, and in this case, you know, something else. But the the fact that his name is Henry Lee makes me think. My interpretation is that it's connected to that undercurrent of darkness in American history, you know, slavery in the South, uh, the fact that Henry Lee was the father of Robert E. Lee. And so putting these two currents against each other, the boss and then Henry Lee, and then the woman in the middle, you know, being maybe what I would interpret as, you know, the, the soul of America in the, in the context mm. of this song. Um, it, it, I think that the song might be about the kind of the collapse of American history. Um, which is really a kind of a wild interpretation. I, I, I like where this is going now, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, so that's my, that's my take on, on that. Um, and, and I, you know, look, looking at all the different versions of the song and looking at the, the, the uh, what do you call them, the archetypes of these characters, I think, I think it's pretty good. I think it has some legs. Hmm. One of the things that I always, uh, I thought, I well, Bob, I had never heard of Black Jack Davy, the song, until Bob sang it on Good As I've Been To You. I was just not familiar with the song. And uh, one of the things I liked about that song is, of course, on the surface, you know, the, the woman is running off with somebody. And so that presents her in a certain light of like, oh, well, she's she's like a floozy. She's running off uh, with another man, not the man that she's married to. But yet in the story, in Black Jack Davy and in this song, uh, the man that she's married to is the man that gives her all of this privilege, all mm-hmm. of this wealth, and yet she's not interested in that. In Blackjack mm-hmm. Davy, the, the 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 woman tells uh, the the boss in that song, the the guy that she's running away from, I would rather sleep like I think I forget exactly the line, but she's like, I would rather sleep on a riverbank in the arms of Blackjack Davy than be with you. So it's like, wow, yeah. she would rather literally sleep in dirt. <laughs> with, yeah. but but with love uh that blackjack davy has for her or uh, you know then then be with this rich guy and she's like well worry well maybe 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 she's not so bad maybe she yeah. real maybe she's trapped in this loveless relationship and so when you expand the metaphor like you're talking about well then it, i could see that they're fighting for the soul of the nation is mm-hmm. this tug of war back and forth um the song again the song goes on it says she turned she was startled with a look of surprise with a hatred that could hit the skies. Wow, what a, <laughs> what a what a line. You're a reckless fool. I can see it in your eyes. To come this way was by no means wise. Get up, stand up, you greedy-lipped wench, and cover your face or suffer the consequence. You're making my heart full sick. Put on your clothes back on double quick. And then, uh, silly boy, you think me a saint. I'll listen no more to your words of complaint. You've given me nothing but the sweetest lies. Now hold your tongue and feed your eyes. And again, yeah. I, at this point, I'm not even sure who's talking at this, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, that, that's definitely the wife. Um, there, there's actually, I found online, somebody broke down this song, you know, uh, character by character, um, which was really helpful because I agree. When you're listening to the song, it's kind of like, wait, where are we? <laughs> who's talking? <laughs> but I mean, those lyrics that you just read, I mean, <laughs> Bob was obviously in a pretty, uh, a pretty dark mood when he wrote this. It's heavy I, stuff. I think it's, it's maybe not every single song, but it, in, in uh, almost every song on Tempest, somebody gets it. Somebody, yeah, right. somebody gets it, and te- or is about to get it. If, you know, either they literally die, 
like in Tempest or in this song or in Scarlet Town, or they're threatened to die, like in Pay and Blood or Duquesne Whistle. Uh, I mean, even in a song as romantic as uh, Soon After Midnight, he talks about dragging a corpse through the mud. So yeah. somebody's getting it in every in 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 every respect here. And you mentioned uh, finding some source online. There was one website I found. There's a website called Bob Dylan Song Analysis. Mm-hmm. wordpress.com and they did david weir is the writer and he has an analysis of tin angel and i actually found it uh very helpful because Ooh. like i said i i struggled through the song and he broke it down into in 10 different parts it just again, how many songs really can withstand that level of scrutiny one song <laughs> on a record with not with nine other songs and you can get 10 parts of discussion worthy out of it um but again the the, the uh the, the song goes on, he says, oh, please uh, let not your heart be cold. The man is dearer to me than gold. Oh, my dear, you must be blind. He's a gutless ape with a worthless mind, which, again, yeah. another yeah. amazing. That's a, that's a, that's a nice uh, yeah. that's a nice dig. Yeah, gutless ape. You've had your way too long with me. Now it's me who will determine how things shall be. Try to escape. He cussed and cursed. He'll have it. try and get past me first. I dare not let your passion rule. You think my heart, the heart of a fool, and you, sir, you cannot deny you made a monkey of me. What and for why? Once again, another another monkey reference. You've got an ape just yeah. two verses out, and now we got a monkey again. That that's actually something that was interesting to me because I, I, uh, I I'm an anthropologist, so I I, I studied a lot of uh, primatology. So you know, monkeys and apes, and, <laughs> and apes and monkeys are actually so apes. Human beings are apes, and monkeys are like a, a whole different uh, family. You know, like with tails, but. So like the the chimpanzees, humans, gorillas are apes, and then monkeys are all the other kind of small, smaller ones that exist in the in the primate world. So I thought that was an interesting. Um, it was interesting to use those two different um, those two different terms because an ape would be a more evolved, I guess, version. Of, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting though. But again, there's so many references in the song to the the boss being uh, weak you know, mm-hmm. or timorous. And she's constantly referring that to him. And of course, you know, that's that again, to me, that reiterates the whole idea of that. This is a dream. And this guy is, this guy's subconscious is bringing all that up that it's like, if he thinks he's weak, the worst thing that could happen to him would be that his woman runs off. And then when he confronts her, she confronts him with his own gutlessness, you know, now it's funny. They're talking about how weak he is. And yet he, in the dream, at least in this story, he has shown up like, He's doing this violent action, you know, that, so it's like, he's not like, he's showing up with a gun and yet she's threatening him. She's insulting him and belittling him, which doesn't seem like the wisest thing in the world, considering he's presumably got a gun in his hand. Yeah. Especially after she's just told um, Henry Lee that, you know, he's a, um, he's harmless. He wouldn't yeah. kill a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the gun is so the gun went boom and the shot rang clear. First bullet grazed his ear. Second ball went right straight in and he bent in the middle like a twisted pin. I love that line. Yeah, that's a, again another great turn of phrase. But again, I like the um the second ball. Again, what kind of gun is this? A ball? That's a that's an old timey gun that fires balls, bullet, you know. Yeah. He mentions a bullet, but then he talks about a ball, which to me suggests like an old timey musket as opposed to yeah, a, yeah, a, a that, revolver that, that, and stuff. That's that's what I my takeaway too, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Uh, he crawls to the corner and he lowered his head. He gripped the chair and he grabbed the bed. It would take more than the needle and thread bleeding from the mouth. He's as good as dead. So now, yeah. okay, now he, we're changing the tense here. He's as good as dead. Who's talking? Who's there? Now we have a narrator telling us the story of the three people. 
So I mean, we, it seems to be from somebody's point. Of, I, mean, I mean, Bob does this a million times. He, does, he did it all the way back to his early songs. But again, this, this constantly shifting of sand beneath your feet of like, wait, okay, wait, who's talking? <laughs> who's talking? Yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 I, I felt like when I first started listening to this closely, I thought it was the servant who was narrating. Right. Uh, which wouldn't make sense because he's not with the boss, you know, for the majority of the song, but it just kind of starts off that way. But yeah, I think it's a lot of, you know, I think he's treating it almost like a movie or like a film where he's mm-hmm. you know, the camera angles are changing and you're seeing things from different perspectives. And, but it would also match your dream hypothesis. <laughs> right. Right. And instead it gets even more confusing. You shot my husband down. You fiend husband. What husband, what the hell do you mean? He was a man of strife, a man of sin. I cut him down and I'll throw him to the wind. All right, now what, what is happening? Cause she's calling the other guy, her husband. She's saying, she's calling, she's saying to the boss, you just shot my husband down, but that's not yeah. her husband. So what? <laughs> yeah. Henry. Yeah. Henry Lee shot, Henry Lee shot the boss down and then she, um, so she's, yeah. So, he, so then she's complaining to him that he just killed her husband and and he's he's saying you know what kind of husband you know what husband what husband what husband what the hell do you mean i i take it to mean that he's just further belittling um the boss here that henry lee is further belittling the boss so wait a minute Um, hold on i'm confused so henry lee is the one shooting in this yeah henry lee shoots the boss yeah that's right how did i wait how did i not understand that wait where did i miss that hold on i'm gonna leave all this in even though it makes me feel really stupid i'm gonna leave all this in so where where (laughs) where where does it switch over to that where where do we where do we where does it establish that henry lee is firing the gun okay so um so he says okay so I, I think maybe where you got lost is with the ape with the ape line because the boss comes back. You must be blind. He's a gutless ape with a worthless mind. Uh, and then his wife. Uh, okay. And then the boss's wife. <laughs> yeah, this is getting kind of confusing. The, the <laughs> boss's wife tells him that she's tired of him and and um, she's now the one who's going to determine right her relationships in the future. That's kind of that line about um, it's now me who will decide whatever. And then her husband um, threatens her again, saying that he'll, she'll have to get past him first. If she wants to move forward with her plan, she's going to have to get past him. Um, and then he says to Henry Lee, you, sir, you cannot deny you made a monkey of me. What and for why? Okay. And then Henry Lee responds with the insulting chat. The devil can be, uh, can, can be the, y'all see to that look sharper, step aside or in the cradle, you wish you died. So then he, and then he kills the boss. <laughs> okay. All right. So, oh my, I've never, oh right? man. <laughs> I've 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 had this song in my head for eight years and I still don't fully <laughs> really grasp it because at no point does in the song does it Bob make it clear that Henry Lee is pulling the gun. I agree. Yeah, I I had to I had to I had to go deep into the rabbit hole to 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 finally splice that to finally you know solve that equation so to speak. <laughs> oh my oh oh man all right okay so <laughs> oh my god so hear this she said with an angry breath you two shall meet the lord of death it was I who brought your soul to life and she raised her robe and she drew out a knife and yep. uh I, I I always got the idea in this song that uh the boss caught uh his wife and Henry Lee uh in mid copulation. Yes. Uh, and, and yet yeah, nice she, to put it, yeah, yeah she, but she raised her robe. So she had time to put on a robe, which I thought was interesting. Um, I, I think that that might be a mistake. I, I actually think that that might be a mistake in the song because yeah, you're right. He, he asks her to put her clothes on double quick right. uh, earlier. And then now she's raising her robe and drawing out a knife. And it's like, well, 
either the robe is on the floor or the you know end of the bed or whatever and the knife is still in it or she's put the robe back on but in the flurry of all this stuff i can't imagine her getting dressed yeah yeah right exactly i mean this is all i mean this is all taking place in what 10 seconds i mean i don't maybe maybe she had time to put on the robe i don't know uh his face was hard and caked with sweat his arms ached and his hands were wet you're a murderous queen and a bloody wife you don't mind i'll have the knife or two of a kind yeah, see, that's a confusing one yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're two of a kind and our blood runs hot. We're no way similar in body and thought. All husbands are good men, as all wives know. And she pierced him to the heart and his blood did flow. Mm-hmm. His knees went limp and he reached for the door. His doom was sealed. He slid to the floor. He whispered in his ear, this is all your fault. My fighting days have come to a halt. So no, no, what is that? What, 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 my fighting days have come to a halt? I mean, what, what's that about? Yeah, I, 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 I it's confusing. I, I think that Henry <laughs> Lee, you know, he's the leader of this clan. And I think, you know, going back to the to the historical reference to Henry Lee, who fought under Washington, uh, you know, that the Lees are also a big tobacco family in the South. Uh, I mean, it could be, you know, his his clan, his his family, you know, they're they're this uh, kind of taking over and they've, you know, they have this connection to the military. Uh, and then, you know, this woman is kind of come along and he's fallen in love with her and here he is you know dying for her after you know she's she's just stabbed him in the heart right right a pretty literal you know, like a metaphorical and literally stabbed him in the heart right 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 so then she touched his lip and kissed his cheek he tried to speak but his breath was weak you died for me now i'll die for you she put the blade to her heart and she ran it through all three lovers together in a heap thrown into the grave forever to sleep. Funeral torches blazed away through the towns and the villages all night and all day. First of all, uh, the final line, I love the way Bob, the way he, his voice trails off at yes. the end of that, where he's like through the night in the villages all night and all day. Like he yeah. just lets it, you know, he really lets it flatten out there. Um, and then the, the bit where she kills herself, uh, that to me, uh, strengthens the sort of idea that you're talking about, that this is one giant metaphor for America, and then you've got two warring clans fighting for America, and then America dies in the process anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, that's exactly... Yeah, you, you, th- th- my interpretation is holding here. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, I hate to say this, but look around, everybody. You know, look out your window, babe. There's a scene you'd like to catch. Hard to Hard to argue that that's not what's happening <laughs> i mean you know i hate to say that but that feels like that's that feels like it sometimes when you see some of this and this is 2012 exactly 2012 this isn't this yeah. isn't on rough and rowdy ways this is this is an eight-year-old right. song <laughs> yeah it was it's kind of like the writing was on the wall you know and, and i think that you know a lot of people even you know in 2012 even though we were you know, things were stable and, and you know kind of felt like they were going in a good direction there was already signs of this, you know, identity politics and stuff coming up and, and, you know, this tension between different types of Americans, you know, which, you know, not to get into that here, but you know, I, I really do think that, you know, Bob Dylan, he's not a political, he's not political at all. I mean, he's, you know, since the 1960s, he's just very rarely commented on politics, but I think that, you know, within his art, you, you can see a lot about social and you know, economic relationships. Um, and so I think that, you know, he might be burying a little a nugget for us here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea that um, someone would want, that someone would rather, what am I trying to say? The, the idea that someone would rather destroy 
everything than lose is mm-hmm. an idea that's again been in his work and i and, and, you know something we're seeing right now uh, mm-hmm. I think this idea that I, you know, I need to have my way. And if I don't have it, we'll just burn everything down. And, yep. you know, you're like, whoa, okay. You know? And so that seems to be, you know, I mean, look, what's the result of all of this strife at the end, three corpses thrown yep. in a grave forever and just set a fire and the town just moves on. I mean, I mean, it, yeah. this, this is not Scarlet town, but it feels like it certainly could be. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've definitely, um, even from the first time I listened to the album back in 2012, uh, when I listened to it all the way through the first time, I, Scarlet Town and Tin Angel, I felt like there was a connection between the two songs. Like, not, not in the lyrics, but in, in the mood. Almost like mm-hmm. Scarlet Town is the place where this yeah. is all taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really interesting. And also, to go back to that uh, conversation about the current moment, you know, to draw a line between this song and Murder Most Foul, <clears throat> which is a really kind of bold line to try to draw. <laughs> <laughs> There's that lyric in Murder Most Foul um, where he's talking about, I, I've um, seen the, the the soul of a nation torn away um, mm-hmm. and is beginning to go into some kind of decay. I, I, I think, you know, you can, it's not too much to try to draw a line between that. Not that he was thinking about this song when he, when he penned that lyric, but um, certainly a connection there. Which yeah. is, by the way, my favorite Bob Dylan song of all time. I've, I've finally came to that conclusion a couple of days ago. <laughs> is it real? What, that, isn't that amazing, though, that you that you can say that about a, a guy who's written 500 songs and he's been doing this yep. for 60 years, and you can <laughs> you can say with a certain amount of certainty, at least for the moment, that a song he released just a year ago is your all time favorite? Like, and that that's just startling. It is. It is. But I'm, uh, it's just such a, a beautiful and, – and one other thing I wanted to say about this song is – we already talked about the, the Daniel Lanois, but the, the mood of these uh, – this kind of latter-day Dylan period, the mood of these songs, it, it's not something that you find until Oh Mercy, you know, these really uh, like kind of eerie, dreamlike landscapes with you know, a band that is really kind of just in the moment, you know, the – because a lot of his earlier like eighties stuff, it's kind of overproduced and sounds kind of awkward, <laughs> but you know, with murder most foul and then with this song as well, I think you, you hear a band who's really relaxed and kind of, yeah. I picture them in this kind of smoky room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you don't get the sense there's anything he can throw at them that they can't handle at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he said the mood that, yeah, the mood that he sets on this. Yeah. You could, you could picture this uh, song on, time out of mind or oh mercy especially oh mercy i mean i to me this the, the man with the long black coat could wander through this song yeah. uh pretty easily you know and fit in um uh, specifically about some of the, the the lyric choices i mean you know there's there's a lot of people love to find when he's borrowing lines from things and then people love to be aha he's stealing lines from this or that and it's like Right. First of all, it's a tiresome game because he's been doing it for fifty years. You just didn't have right, exactly. You just didn't have Google <laughs> to help you do it. Um, but at the same time, it's like when he does, he's still when he needs to. He he seems as a songwriter, he seems perfectly willing to when he has a thought that he wants to express in a song. If there's a line from another song that fits that thought exactly, he's perfectly happy to plug it in. 
He's, oh, yeah. he, you know, he'll, he'll take the opening line or like he did for like, if you've ever been to Houston, you know, he's able mm-hmm. to just say, all right, well, that's what I want to say. So I'm just going to plug that in. But then when he has to do his own thing, he obviously is still incredibly capable of it. And one of the verses that I actually, I said, I wasn't going to read the whole song and I almost did. And then <laughs> I realized one of the verses that I skipped over was, was something I wanted to mention was when um, the boss gets to wherever these two are, whether it's a house or a, a cabin or something um he says he leaned down cut the electric wire stared into the flames and he snorted the fire peered through the darkness caught a glimpse of the two it was hard to tell for certain who was who and i always thought that was such a icky line because it's like you you know your woman has run off and you're peering through presumably the window and obviously like we talked about they're in the middle of literally having sex and they are so the 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 devil with two backs sort of thing is going on to the point where you can't even tell what you're looking at because it's just this sort of sea of naked flesh and it's a yeah. it's a it's an upsetting kind of line and you hear it you're like it's yeah, a little, it really little gross side yeah it really is and there are three times in the song where that idea of of being uh linked uh, you know it's hard for it's hard to tell for certain who is who and then there's um two uh what was it two people two souls in, in inseparably linked yeah separately linked and then there was another one I, I i'm forgetting right now it's somewhere here in my notes but yeah, this idea song. unified that he can't you know henry lee and the wife have become you know this one this one unit is mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's kind of what drives henry lee over the edge like you almost get the sense i got the sense a little bit that you know, she almost um, like she knew that her husband was going to come after her, but that he wouldn't um, become violent or something mm-hmm. like that. Because in the earlier versions of the of Black Jack Davy, you know, he goes to the river and Black Jack Davy's uh, singing to the girl. And there's actually no mention of, of sex in the earlier songs, um, the earlier versions. Right. And then but he doesn't kill and nobody gets killed. And the wife ends up kind of staying with Black Jack Davy and saying that, you know, right. you can keep everything, even the baby. You can even keep the baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm going to stay with this guy. So yeah. it's it's really, it, it's almost like he's ending the story. He's like, like this This is a song that's been going on for 400 years and I'm going to end it on Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I never really thought about that, but that's a that's a very Bob Dylan chutzpah thing to do, kind of like, all right, I'm going to take all the versions of the song and I'm 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 putting the, the end at the end of this. This is it. We're done with this. And it's that you can you can absolutely see. I mean, God, if you want to, you could almost imagine this done as a video, very similar to the um uh, the video he did for the night we called it a day from oh, yeah. uh, where, where he did because that's a film noir. You know, they turned that that video was a film noir movie. Uh, yeah. In three minutes, where it's got a got a guy with a gun, and there's somebody showing up, and there's a there's a a woman torn between two guys. I mean, so I mean, all of that is 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 in here. And I'm, it, it's your comment about that Bob Dylan is ending the song. I do think sometimes that's what he, in a in some sort of way, I think he realizes like maybe to younger people, maybe if that's who he's I don't know who he's trying necessarily mm-hmm. talking to, but he maybe knows that all right, younger people are probably not going to be familiar with, or almost assuredly not going to be familiar with Gypsy Davy or Blackjack Davy or these old songs. So I'm going to do my own version. So there's a more modern version of it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's the reason why you kind of remake movies. You remake it to say, all right, people may not watch the 1940-ish black and white version, but they'll watch this other one. And there's mm-hmm. reasons to do those things and not do those things. But sometimes I feel like Bob's doing that. Like He's just like, okay, 
I'm going to write my own version of Black Jack Davy for the new millennium. And here it is. Here's this version of it. And I feel like that's kind of what he's getting at with sometimes, sometimes when he's rewriting these, updating these, these old songs. Like we talked about for Nettie Moore when we did a couple episodes ago where he's updating that story and making it a new version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, the one thing that has always eluded me about this song—if you look at the titles of of the songs in this tradition—you uh, know, you, they're they're all they all refer to the uh, to the you know the guy who's stealing the women, you know, Black Jack Davy or um, or Gypsy Davy, Gypsy Davy, right? Or, or Rambling, uh, what's the other one? The Rambling, Rambling Gypsy or whatever. But for this one, you know, Tin Angel, I and, and I for the life of me, I, I, I tried to figure to solve this riddle, but I can't figure out what Tin Angel is supposed to mean. I know there's, <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, a lyric from a, um, or there's a song by, um, oh, I'm forgetting the most famous female singer in American music. Um, Joni Mitchell? Uh, Joni Mitchell, yes. There's a Joni Mitchell song called Tin Angel. Um, and some people have, have connected this to that, which would be a pretty obvious thing to link. Um, but, you know, a Tin Angel being somebody who who's very uh deceptive you know somebody who's deceptively angelic but is mm. made of tin made of tin yeah. right yeah so that oh. that you know, that could further that could further feed into my my theory here about the the song being about america mm. uh, you know this grand idea that in the, it you know and you know i love my country and everything but a grand idea that had has so many internal problems that in the end it's kind of like uh what what is this really what's going on here <laughs> Right, because tin tin is a very weak metal. Exactly. Uh, so the idea that it could be punctured uh, very easily, you know, exactly, so that idea yeah. that this thing is this thing's an angel, but there's not much there, and if you just put a little effort, it. I mean, it talks about like when when he gets shot, uh, he goes down like a twisted pin, you know. Oh, so that's it, a, such a good lyric. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, and now so unsurprisingly, uh, this song has been played zero times live. Uh, mm-hmm. He's never done it live. I mean. You you never say never with him, but it is hard to picture that th- this song would be something that he would play live because just because of its sheer length. I mean, you you talked about you saw him do Highlands, and the Highlands is almost twice as long, so it's yeah. not completely impossible. But the fact that it's the beat is so repetitive. Oh, not that not that Highlands isn't, <laughs> but the beat is so repetitive that it's it's just hard to picture. Him doing this, I mean, you can almost imagine him doing this with the rest of the band, taking a break, taking a cigarette break with just him and Garnier, <laughs> just doing it by themselves. Hopefully, Bob's not taking any more cigarette breaks. Eh? Yeah, well, hope, yeah, hopefully, yeah, they're not doing that. So, but say but yeah, this is, it would be it would be good live though. I, I it would be good live probably only for the diehards, probably only for the Bobcats. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think that you know if if um. You know, if somebody who's never been to a Dylan show goes and, and he plays Tin Angel in the middle of his set, they might be like, uh, it's, it's, when is this going to end? <laughs> <laughs> and what is he saying? <laughs> right. I mean, imagine trying to, to, to make all this out. Uh, the story is the story's confusing enough when you hear it crisply on a record, let alone, you know, through the, the all the feedback and, and distortion and a live performance. So, yeah. I mean, and again, for Bob's memory, this might be, tough to remember i mean I, i've said a thousand times i don't know how he keeps all these songs in his head i don't know yeah, how oh yeah i, I don't either I, it's 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 unimaginable <laughs> yeah I, you know i mean i i can i can i'm if i can hear if i hear a bob dylan song anywhere on the radio or, or on youtube or something i can follow the words but i'm hearing the tune in my head already you know and uh I've, mm-hmm. i'm like okay i can remember it, but i mean man not when i'm i'm not the one creating the momentum 
He's got to create the momentum. And, and on top of it, remember whatever instrument he's playing, whether he's yeah. got the, he's playing right. keyboards or playing a good guitar. I mean, again, it's like, it's just on the amount of, I hate to be grim, but the amount of like songs we're going to lose once Bob shuffles off, uh, I, I mean, is just unfathomable. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, they're, they're out there for people to play, but he's got songs in his head that I think probably he's the only one that remembers anymore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I it, it's hard to even think about that, to be honest. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and the thing is the, one of the reasons it's so hard to think about that is because he keeps putting out this amazing stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like 2020. And I, I remember seeing him in 1999 and thinking, you know, that I'm, I'm seeing, I'm saying goodbye to a legend here, you know, <laughs> 21 years later, you know, and murder most foul just came out and, uh, that gives me a lot of hope for a lot of different things. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, yeah, I think stuff's just going to keep sort of sort of going forever. So, yeah. so I mean, uh, so I mean, is there anything else we want to say about Tin Angel before we wrap up? Well, you know, one, one other thing um, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but th- th- there's kind of a, a Romeo and Juliet analogy to, um, you know, just the the, the kind of uh, murder suicide ending, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think that that. Uh, you see, you know, Henry leader, uh, sorry, Henry Lee is the leader of this clan, which, you know, which I think kind of plays into that interpretation I was making. And the boss being the, the you know, the wealthy, the wealthy man who can give, you know, his wife, the world and the planets. And then in the end, you know, they all, they all die in this, in this heap and in the town, you know, lights torches and celebrates, <laughs> celebrates or mourns their death maybe simultaneously. Um, so, yeah, I think that that Romeo and Juliet, I think the, you know, he might've slotted that in there because that's not in the earlier versions, but I think it does. Um, I think it does, uh, you know, it's, it, it's worth mentioning. And, and also Tempest, the song, which I think we were talking about doing earlier, mm-hmm. um, talks about Romeo and Juliet. Um, that's so, right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think that that's an interesting uh, way to look at it as well. Um, because that doesn't appear in the earlier versions. Um, so that, you know, that murder suicide component. Which is obviously, I mean, that's that's the whole end of the song. I mean, the first five or six uh, parts are about him kind of traveling there, you know, learning about what happened, and then, and then the the, the last like seven minutes of the song is that ten seconds, you know, that you described earlier <laughs> <laughs> of stuff that happens. So. And also, you have again, the, we have, you know, Bob is omniscient narrator because obviously, whoever is telling the story is could not have seen the events happening. Obviously, because, uh, you know, I mean, it's again, the narrator is is has the insight to what uh, the boss is thinking inside of his head. And so, again, sometimes you're thinking, well, maybe no, we're inside the boss's head. But no, we're not, because we have a person who's standing back and telling this story and Mm -hmm. going back. And, you know, I guess as we pan out, we get somebody watching all this as the town sets everybody (laughs) again. It's such a kind of disrespectful throwing three people into a mass grave is kind of like not the most, you know, <laughs> I mean, geez. But, but it lines up perfectly with the mood of Tempest, right? I oh, mean, yeah. With Violet Town and, you know, just all this violence and, and, and kind of horribleness. Like, it just, it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You just, you do not, you want to just stay. And it, again, it goes back to the whole Scarlet Town. Not, we haven't covered that on the show yet, but I mean, Scarlet Town nods towards the idea of um like uh, the the nightmare town the whole idea that there's like and that there's literally a book a dashiell hammett story called nightmare town and it's about this this little you know 
town and kind of tucked away off in the countryside somewhere that people wander into. And it's like, it's, it's almost like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, not, not mm-hmm. that violent, but it's like, it's filled with these people that are sort of like these violent, nasty people. And it's, it has that film noir sort of feel to it. And so, yeah, it feels like that, like we said, Scarlet Town could either be where this is happening or an adjacent town. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have sort of, we have, wandered into some part of america that is deeply scary that is yes, exactly. always night there's no sun there's no there's no daylight it's always <laughs> raining it's dark and it's horrible and then the only other sort of modern thing is maybe they're you know if you go if you go down to the uh down to the docks you can wave goodbye to the titanic i guess or something like that right right yeah yeah it, it's so interesting yeah and i you know love and theft also has a um has has a unifying theme of like this wild west gambling, you know, shoot 'em up kind of, of mm-hmm. landscape. But but it, it, there's more sunshine. I feel like in, in Love and Theft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's the. I, I don't think Bob ever would con- say any of his albums are, are concept albums, but he certainly seems to have an idea in his head. I mean, of course he does. Right? I'm saying it out loud. Of course he has an idea in his head. <laughs> but this idea of like these song, there are songs that seem to fit some sort of mood he's trying to convey. And if the song, whatever song he comes up with doesn't fit that mood, even if, as we've seen, the song's a masterpiece, like Blind Willie McTowell or Girl from the Red River Shore, out it goes. Out it goes. It doesn't make it in. And the fact that some of these songs, you can sort of um, interpolate lines from place to play. I mean, you just talked about they're, they're, the Romeo and Juliet thing fits in Tempest and fits here. And it's almost like he could trick. And we, now that we've, uh, we've had access to uh, the songs that he worked on via the Telltale Signs bootleg, we know that he was taking lines out of other songs and planting them back in, in different songs. It's amazing. That he's able to do that, that he's able to take these, you know, oh, no, this line that could have been in Standing in the Doorway is now going to be in Till I Fell in Love with You. You know, you're like, my God. It's, it's he, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact, and so the fact that he does sort of see these albums as something of a mosaic, but it's all of a piece. It may not, from the, from the listener's perspective, and again, when you're as dumb as I am, you don't necessarily see these things, that they don't all fit together. But then when you step back further and further, and maybe, you know, Eight years in, I'm still not obviously not fully understanding the song because you were you had to explain part of it to me. Uh, eight years in, I'm still not fully grasping it all. Maybe I don't know. Maybe in another eight years, I'll see something that I didn't see in the last eight. I don't know, but that's how deep these records go. Yeah, and and I, I'm still not there with rough and rowdy ways. I, I, I think it's, <laughs> it, it how might can be you be? It's brand favorite. new. You know, I mean, come on. It, it might be my favorite Dylan album for all I know. Oh, but oh I, I, my I, goodness, I, I have not been able to. It, it's so complex. Uh, every song is a universe on that album. I mean, it's, I, I love it, uh, but it's, it's so complex. And, and I, uh, I can't say the same thing about rough and rowdy ways is, is Tempest or, or love and theft or, you know, some of the albums that I, that I see is kind of concept type albums. Although he probably hates it to, to have them described that way. Probably. Yeah. But I feel like rough and rowdy ways is just every song is like its own um, self-contained entity. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> that's remarkable. It really is. So, yeah. well, yeah. I said, I guess that's going to do it for, for Tin Angel. I mean, we could go on and on. There's again, uh, there's so many lines and verses to talk about, but we can't go on for, for too much longer. So Douglas, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. This was excellent. I, I really had a, a fantastic time here. Oh, well, thank you very much. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Oh, okay. Well, um, 
if you want to find me on Twitter and um, it, it's my Twitter account is pretty political, but uh, <laughs> that would <laughs> Nothing be wrong uh, with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that would be uh, Amanqua La Rose. So uh, Amanqua is my, my wife's family's name, which is A-M-A-N-K-W-A-H La Rose. Um, but you're not going to see a whole lot of stuff about Bob there. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's where you can find me. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. So of course, if you want to follow this show, uh, all our back episodes are on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the fine water podcast network, please go to patreon.com slash fw podcasts and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to robert ward steve cronin and henry bernstein for their support of pod dylan so that's going to do it thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later bye-bye It was late last night when the boss came home To a deserted mansion and a desolate throat Servant said, boss, the lady's gone She left this morning just for dawn You got something to tell me, tell it to the man Come to the point as straight as you can Old Henry Lee Chief of the clan came riding through the woods and took her by the hand.